welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorin, and I'm joined by... Tony. You're simply the best, better than all the rest, better than anyone, anyone I ever met. Yeah, <laughs> legs for days. Queen Tina. Absolutely. Oh, that's a good one. Tina Turner, Simply the Best. We are talking about Simply the Best. Well, what makes you Simply the Best player? Because today we're going to talk about those of you who read our website, 3 We've mentioned this before, but we put an article on there every week, too. So if you're only listening to us on the podcast, you're only getting about half the content we put out. We put out an article and a podcast every week. So definitely check out 3 to see everything we're doing. We also throw those out through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram all the time as well. So you can, you can follow those there. One of our most popular articles has been the six habits of highly successful players, which Tony wrote, uh, I guess, about two or three weeks ago. Easily. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I it's have to not, go to the second page to find it anymore. There's so much content. We will link it to this podcast as well. But this article has been it's gotten a great reception. It's one of the few things we've done that's really aimed at players. And we had not really talked about it on the podcast. And you know, when I say it's gotten a great reception, I mean, this is this is to a certain extent blown up. We get it. We get quite a lot of traffic on this article every day. Uh, which has been cool because, you know, we, we aim most of the podcast at DM. So it was neat to see that we do some content in the players. People are really interested in that, too. So today we are going to break down what are the habits of highly successful players. I think we'll also get into a little bit. We've recently Tony recently had an article hit as well. That is the six steps to building RPG characters your party will love and your DM will love to hate. You want to see you have that on the website uh, just about a week ago now. So, you know, we're putting out some of these topics that talk about character advice and player advice instead of DM advice. So let's talk about guys. You know, what do you want to see? What do you think makes a good character from the DM's point of view? I like to see the party interaction where you have if you have a really solid character that you love, you feel passionate about, they're explosive and that's fantastic. You're awesome, and you can take the football and you can run with it because I love a good football analogy. But I also <laughs> really appreciate that that character can get involved with their fellow players and really make some magic work. And what I mean is, it's not about them. It's not their show. They're they're deferring to other people. They're bringing everybody together. And hey, I just don't have one really awesome star on the show. I've got a really good cast. So. I'd like to dig into that just a little bit because, you know, you say they can take the football and run with it. That can be interpreted as they have like a really strong heroic character who can basically stand one-on-one -on -one in a fight. Is that what you're talking about? Are we talking mechanical or what do you really, how do you mean that they can take the football and run with it? Uh, they can get things done. So in some respects, can they, uh, you know, is this character a powerhouse? Well, that's, that's fine. If that's their shtick, I'm more interested in a character that can move the plot. Like make a plan and make it happen, like kind of thing. Like like it's not just that they that it's not just that they sit there and roll the, and and roll the dice when you put an encounter in front of them. Like they can actually drive the action and think about what the party should do. And you can be a very powerful character uh, and basically suck. Mm. I think that's those two things can absolutely exist. Just having a lot of stats and shot power does not make a great character in your campaign. You just have a character who is more difficult to challenge. And often that character then, when actually challenged, 
may not know how to respond fantastically or may mm. get quickly frustrated. That one punch yeah. man kind of thing. Well, that's actually a great point, right? Because one, well, one Punch Man is a great character. It's a great anime, but the character itself is supposed to be a person who he can defeat anything with one punch, but he doesn't really know how to do the other things to like move himself forward in the world. They, they do say that character is, is actually on the spectrum. We've talked about the spe- uh, the autism spectrum here before a little bit. So, I mean, there's some cool things about that character, but you're right. It's a character who maybe has a hard time deciding, like, kind of figuring out what needs to be done and how they can do it and how they can kind of you want know, to do with their with their time to to make the most of what they're doing, right? Yeah, no, positively. Uh, a great character it doesn't wind up spinning their wheels for 20 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour and a half in a game where you're like, okay, they're not able to get the traction you want. Mm-hmm. You want them, like, you know, everyone, yeah. it's difficult to get people together. You want to get everybody together, like, hey, we want to have a good time, we want to laugh, but we are here to play, so let's feel like we accomplished something. Hmm. Great character does that. Yeah, yeah. So- Somebody like One Punch Man is a really cool character. And Thorin, you're right. There's a whole lot to that character. The the idea of the One Punch is not even the point. That's just yeah. the mechanic. It's like walk. The Walking Dead is not about zombies. That's just the mechanic that they do to investigate the human condition, right? And you know, society, whatever. So the One Punch Man is awesome for a story that you've written, and now you want to create an anime out of it and watch it. It's not awesome when you're playing a game and that's the difference here and that's the difference we always talk about like if you want to play D D just by yourself it's called writing a novel you know so you can go do that but (laughs) if not it's playing with other people so i think it breaks down to three words investment investment Mm. oh that's just one word investment (laughs) that's one word so yeah it's it's all it really comes down to that it's about player investment and that can come in a variety of ways that I'm sure we're going to get into as we go forward here. So, I mean, is there anything else though that you really want to see in in your characters or in, a, in the best characters you DM or the really the most successful players you DM? It's just you want them to be invested, but like what other? Yeah, that because it do? always like, comes, like what, yeah, what is it comes What's down to that. It comes down to that because that's going to come out differently. So. We throw it back a lot of times to uh, we talked about the what was it, eight different types of players we talked about or seven, <laughs> whatever number it was. Go back and listen. It was a great episode. So the investment of each of those kind of characters, your actor, your power gamer, your audience member is going to be completely different, but also incredibly completely valuable to what you're trying to do around the table. So that investment can take a lot of forms. So you can't just say, this is what I'm looking from from my players, because from the storyteller, I'm expecting a different level of investment than I am from the power gamer, right? You know, so, so it really comes down to, are they engaged with what is happening at the table? Are they engaged with adding to that? Uh, are they engaged with being part of a troop? Because that's kind of what we're talking about. You're part of a like a vaudeville troupe or something, right? <laughs> like an improv troupe. You're all adding in to keep this, Tony says, keep the football moving forward. The way the story moves forward is by people going the yes and. And that takes a lot of different beats, depending on where you are in the story or the encounter or whatever it might be. And for the record, Dave pulling out the deep cut there. Episode seven of this podcast. The oh my God, was it? Player types and how to DM them. Building off of what was in the, I believe the fourth edition 
DMG. Uh-huh. About the player types uh-huh. and how you DM them. Also getting into some kind of some of where you kind of hit a wall with that because one of the things that's you know, funny that episode that episode talked about okay how does the DM have to how should you try to engage and entertain and make the game fun for these eight player types. One of the things we got to on that episode was how well they cut that for fifth edition, and in fifth edition they put the DM in much more position of you're a player too. So. Yeah. You know, they stopped kind of acting like, okay, the D, it's the DM's job to make it fun for every player. And they've started, you know, and I think in a, in a positive development, although that particular piece of advice on, on recognizing eight player types is really important. But I like that Watsi kind of took that stance because I agree with the stance that it's not the solely the DM's job to make the game fun for the players. And that is, I think, sort of tied into this. Like what both of you were saying comes down to Tony, what you mentioned as number one in the six habits of highly successful RPG players article, be involved, but don't hog the spotlight. That was tip number one. And that's kind of what we're all talking about, right? Like, yeah. you know, if you're going to be what I see as a successful player is someone who is invested, who engages with the world and can to get to Tony, what you were saying, they can move the football And like that to me is really specifically that you throw a problem out there to them. They don't just sit there and look at you like, huh? Well, DM, how do you want us to solve this problem? They actually come up with things. They come up with things they can do. They come up with things a whole party can do. They talk to other players. And I think, and that's not like one person in the group who should be doing all that. I think all of the players can be taking that role. I, I really want everyone who plays to look at what's going on, think about, oh, well, shit, we're in a scrape. How do we get out of this? And then take the next step of actually coming up with a plan to get out of this and talking with the other players about whether or not that's what they want to do or not. That's why, you know, Dave's talked a lot about how I will throw a problem in front of my players and get them talking about it and then leave the room and just step away for five minutes and come back and then hear and then then have them tell me what their plan is because I want them to engage with each other and not with me necessarily because when the players engage with the dm to solve a problem they tend to be like well dm like what can you give us to get out of this whereas what you want is for the players to look at it like a real world problem and in their minds come up with okay well how can my character overcome this what do we want to do and then you as the dm come back in and you try to facilitate that or you let it play out in such a way where they understand why it couldn't work and what they have to they have to do something else yeah, Thorne, you made that point. Uh, that's a that's a great point, and it goes to what you've said before as well about you're you're always teaching people how you want to play your game, right? Because when you're running the game, it's kind of, it's your world. Your world is the character that you get to play. So in a way, you you play with it in a certain way, and and it runs best in a certain way. In a similar fashion, funny enough, with the rhyme of the frostman group that I started, right? We had our session zero and all of that, and it went swimmingly. Yeah, it was. It was good. Uh, No, it was good, though, because it was interesting, not in a way of exactly what we're talking about here, but in a way of teaching players how to do that, because I had two people who had never done role-playing, and then I had Bonnie. So she started talking to them, and they started talking to me, because I kind of repeated, well, she's asking you this, you know. So they started talking to me. I said, and I looked back to Bonnie and I said, so what do you say? Which then immediately got them cross-talking again um, yeah. amongst themselves by pushing it back. Kind of like when you step away, I you push it back and have the players then figure that out. And that's that's them investing in understanding how they can affect this world. And that's part of what I mean by investment. It's not just how do I get out of this scrape or what's the best combo with my skills for the 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 owlbear we're fighting right now, right? 
It's also, what is my character? Why are they out here? What do they want out of the world? What are they searching for? And how are they going to increase not only the main plot, but create tributaries of plots as well that will make the world bigger, make the world more organic, make the story matter more. And that's part of it too, not just investment in terms of their, you know, what's on the sheet, but what else are they doing? Why are they interacting with that person over that person? You know, what is their story as well? They say in life, if you have one uh, true friend, then you're very lucky. Well, if you have one person in your campaign who really eats up everything you throw down, I would also say you're pretty lucky. But with that, uh, that doesn't mean you have one, the DM interacting with one person or two people. What I mean by that specifically is then they go out and help you bring everybody into this. And uh, dare I say, all ships rise. You help this person that helps increase the investment in the table. So they have a character that really nails it. That's fantastic. Guess what? If this campaign takes a shit, then that character story is over and it's completely irrelevant. So we need to keep this, uh, the act going and that's how you do it <laughs> uh, everyone else has to love this, this campaign as well and want to be there yeah that's actually a really good point and it is kind of it touches on how that your really successful player is someone who not only engages with the campaign world well but also like you're saying engages with the party and you know one of the things i really want in my games i've said this before i want to get players off their sheets i want to get them thinking about the world and interacting with it in a creative imaginative way as if it were a real thing not because of some silly oh it is real to us deal but that is the exercise like that's the fun the fun is hey you're playing a character in a fantasy world what does that character do and where D &D and where rpgs in general go beyond anything a video game can ever do is that they give you full freedom to engage with that world however you want, however the player can think of ways to do it, and however the DM can think of ways to adjudicate it. So RPGs, I think, really come into their own when it isn't just a matter of, okay, I'm running this monster at you, and you're attacking this monster with your powers, and you hit, and you deal damage, and it hits, and it deals damage. That's just a video game on paper. You know, that's just a minis game. And Minis games are great. We love minis. We love video games. I play a ton of video games. But what makes RPGs better than video yeah. games or minis games or board games is that third level of freedom where you yeah. can get off of your sheet and off of the game and just go, you know what? Uh, I, I want to try to befriend the owlbear. I want to try to domesticate this owlbear. How do I do that? I don't want to get in this fight. I'm going to run out the window and climb up the wall to escape this fight. Um you know, it's just when you start thinking of things like it's a real world and you start thinking of more out-of-the-box solutions than just what's on your character sheet, that's when the RPG gets to be fun. And that's the unique experience. Like, you can't get that out of a video game or a board game or, 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 or a uh, minis game. So I want players who can engage with it that way. And I do think that is part of what makes you a successful player. And then who can help the rest of the team engage with it that way. Because you really need the whole party thinking that way if you're going to have a really cool, what to me is the coolest kind of of Dean of RPG you can play. Well, Sir? Thor, you uh, you make that's that goes to two points here that Tony had had talked about in that article, which I think are saying the same thing, just in different ways. The first one you talked about was be involved, but don't hog the spotlight. Yeah. Right. That dovetails directly into another point, which is encourage everyone to contribute, which is kind of what you were just saying, is that or what Tony was also saying there were all ships rise. If if your character is awesome, but no one else is enjoying it or having fun, 
that campaign tanks, it doesn't matter how awesome your character was, you know, just like a good improv group. It has to be this constant flow between everyone. Honestly, I would say one of the most enjoyable things for me in these kind of situations is to be surprised by a solution where I said, okay, you have A, B, and C, and they come up with D and E. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. That, uh, that is a, certainly a hallmark of a, uh, a successful character slash player that they can get things done. Uh, and certainly the interactivity of the world. Yeah, I would agree with you there, Thorne. That is a, uh, a real strong hallmark of the tabletop universe because, you know, I th- stop me if I did this bit before. Max Landis did this thing on a video and he said, how do you kill a vampire? And, you know, people go, oh, well, you know, holy water, steak to the heart, some fire. And he's like, no, wrong. It doesn't matter. Vampires aren't real. You can kill them any way you want. And that's the kind of freedom. Seriously. You you can, like, really, can you kill a vampire with a laser beam? I don't know. I'm going with probably. If I shot Count Dracula with a laser beam, he'd probably get cut in half. But this, this, is, this is the kind of freedom. It's possible because of the focus amount of the sunlight certain, depending it's, on the light it's, it's that is fire right i mean yeah, yeah. light or or, or fire vampire yeah, vampires are vulnerable to fire kind of laser you're working with i, I, I mean, think I'm iron man would waste fun. count dracula I, I, I mean that's my personal opinion but i don't know iron man's got repulsor beams he, he's they're, they're they're more force but i think laser gets them i think i don't think i don't think dracula's an omni beam doesn't take him down i think that blows i thought omni beam was a repulsor i'm, I'm thinking the movie the movie I don't the, know. They, mcu iron man's got repulsor beams i don't think yeah, he has yeah, they, they shifted a little mcu <laughs> was a little different than some of the some of the different marks within uh within the comics <laughs> and so. i think it's hank missing hey. definitely kill count dracula that's my <laughs> i mean sure he's be reform, you'd have to stake him uh, meet if you know but I digress. Yeah, are, are you saying that one time when you're when Erasmus threw the threw the uh, vampire out the window and the vampire didn't quite die, he took some sunburn damage and drifted away? That that, that should have worked. Uh, you know, I didn't really know what to expect in that situation. That was that was an improv shit show. But you know, I, honestly, that's the kind of thing we're talking about here, right? Because this is this is a situation where the Woodstock Wanderers they barge into a vampire's study. He's got some other fledgling vampires in there with him. The curtains are all drawn and dark, so no sunlight gets in. It is the middle of the day, and Tony, being a half giant wizard, runs over, grabs the grabs the vampire, the chair the vampire is sitting in, and before anyone can react, throws it out the window. And it all worked. So I mean, I thought that was actually that's the kind of thing I want to see. Screw and that guy. You removed him from the fight, like like so in adjudicating this. I didn't rule that killed the vampire. I just played it by the book. Okay, vampire sunlight sensitivity. These things happen. He turns in the and then and then I had him on his next turn, I, turn into mist and drift back inside. I but think it got him out threw, of the fight. I think we didn't we also throw him out the window though too. Yeah. No, it was him in yeah. the chair. It was the chair he was in. He and, was, and was the chair. certainly sitting in the chair, right? Yes. And we flung both right through the, the wall. Yeah. Okay. And then you guys tore the curtains down to try to help deal with the flooding yeah. vampires in the room. So I was kind of ad-libbing all that stuff. How do they get, but you know, that's it. Like that was kind of the, the party. They come into a situation, they're interacting with the world. They're coming up with cool ideas and different ways to meet things. That's a very combat focused version, but that same attitude is kind of what I want to see from players, you know, shake it up, come up with a, you know, don't just look at, okay, what power am I going to roll out? Think about critically. Okay. So I'm a, if I'm a person in this situation, what might I do? I will say just to add to that that scenario, that's when you know you have a, a DM that's really ready to improv 
when Thorne is literally drawing out the angle of sunlight entering the room from the window on the Roll20 map, you know, just because of, you know, what time of day it was, and, and we had certain angles, so we're trying to throw these fucking things into the <laughs> into the certain shafts of sunlight that are peeking in the room now. Shanna told me you have an app on your phone to determine where the sunlight should have landed in the room. That was very professional. <laughs> that, that I actually did not. But, you know, it, it helps to be a generalist who knows a bit about everything, okay? Angles, sun, you know. You should always know, does the sun revolve around the world, the, the planet you're dealing with, or does it, or does the uh, the planet resolve, revolve around its sun? <laughs> I don't know, things, ask Basic knowledge of the world you're DMing, you know, that's kind of where I start. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. I think, you know, baseline, what do you want? You know, what really makes a really great player is that ability to, to create the character, to be in the character, be into the character, but then be invested in the world the character is inhabiting and do interesting things based on that. So, you know, what is kind of boring with a, what, what is kind of like, I don't say boring. Like it, it's not that a player who just plays off the sheet is bad. It's fine. That is the, that's what, that's what D and D gives you. That's what the book tells you. Like that's kind of how the book describes it for the most part. That's what the rules funnel you into doing. I would yeah. even argue that's part of why fourth edition was not, in my opinion, successful for us was because fourth edition made combat the, mechanical parts of combat so big it left no room for the other cool stuff so i think a good player is a player who can really engage with the world in that more imaginary pseudo-realistic problem-solving kind of way in in, in role-playing kind of way that they can come into this room and be like okay well this is the character i have my character has good has good motivations and has a decent backstory and i understand it so i can get in here and do something interesting I'm not the character who's just going to, you know, sit in the corner and hide from the party. You know, that really makes, I think, a, a, a really strong player. Well, for the edition kind of sucked, honestly, because my, the goblins had 192 hit points. And you were dripping <laughs> with magical items from your toes to your ears. And then a really tough monster would start whipping your ass. That's just one of my complaints surrounding that. Fourth had a few issues. At the same time, a lot of people love fourth. I mean, we had a play. We had some of our players who love fourth. It did tend to be the players who wanted to play a more mechanically focused game. Like the guy who liked fourth edition best was the guy who would rather play magic or a minis game than play D and D. Like right. that, I think that is that is that is exactly how I could describe fourth edition. So, um, going back to to what um, you were kind of asking me right in the beginning, and. I had said, you know, the three words of investment, right? Um, but a big part of it is, I think, and you guys have been saying this now as well, but what one of the things that I want to see is someone bringing a fully formed character, mm. but a fully formed character that hasn't been fully baked yet either in the kiln or whatever, yeah, right? Whatever analogy, right? They, they, this is a fully formed person that has come into this world, has stepped into this doorway of the tavern or wherever you are, but now, now we can start to mold them and see where they go. So allow them enough room to grow beyond just this is where I want, but they have a very good idea of where they are. And then, Tony, you've said this, uh, know that character for yourself, but then know the other characters and care enough to bring them in because this is a game of multiple people. So you are a party. So bring them in with you, ask them questions, check with them for what they do the best. Talk to the wizard about, you know, uh, ancient history or something, whatever it might be, and engage with the other players at the table in character 
at least enough in character that you can do and move that football forward through that. I think some of the best successful characters, at least from my perspective as a DM, are those who are really driving the story because their their characters just flow. Like if this was if I was writing this out, then I'd be like, well, I know how the barbarian would react. And that would just like these characters would start bouncing off of each other, if you will, and creating content. That's fantastic. Then you could throw a simple situation out there. You like, you know me, I love a good complicated plot, but I could throw out something <laughs> simple there. And these guys go shopping. And next thing you know, you've got them doing 45 minutes of enjoyable content. If you can get that, that's successful. That's a yeah. gold. Yeah, and it really does come from that, you know, understanding their characters and understanding how their characters can and, and would want to interact with the world. Not from a mechanical point of view, but from the role-playing character-driven point of view. You know, uh, to get back to point two, and like, Dave, what you were talking about, know your yeah. know your character and know your, you know your uh, well, the exact wording is know your character and, know, and your friends. And, you know, that is something, you know, I think even in life, people, some people think that they're doing everything on their own. And some people recognize that everyone brings their own unique gifts to the situation. And you want that at the role-playing table. You know, you want yeah. you, you want to have players, and, and players who do this are more successful, in my opinion. Uh, players are more successful when they recognize, okay, these other characters, these other players are good at these things, and I want to set them up to excel at these things. You know, we tried to do that some in Storm King's Thunder, I think. It's sometimes where... You, we were trying to set up Roderick to be able to talk and show off what he did well when some of the other characters like Zhang, particularly, you know, the bugbear was not so charismatic. So you try to, you know, you try to encourage characters to, to, to go do their things and say what you think probably should be said or, you know, just how, you know, kind of talk about, well, how someone else could engage with a situation and kind of give them ideas. Um, you know, that kind of thing, engaging, trying to engage through other characters and with other characters and pulling everyone in, it really does lift the entire, like Tony said, it, it, it lifts all boats. You know, it's, it's important. That's well said with that. They are uh, similar to, to your own life. There's a lot of people that think they do everything by themselves. And then there's the reality that no one has gotten where they are without a huge amount of other people doing other things, you know. But also, what's the most fun we have at the table is when we're cross-talking, when we're yeah. laughing about something, when we're having some ridiculous interaction with whoever it might be and everyone is laughing that's because you're realizing there's other people at the table and the way you can also do that is through character play that through the character as well not just the side jokes of the meta of the of the situation but through the character itself and i think we're seeing that a little bit now in woodstock uh, we were just talking about this, where we're really seeing some real role play with players that weren't necessarily there previously. And now people are starting to talk amongst themselves in groups and seek out other people and, you know, ask this person this thing or confide in this other person. And even though that we've been with this group for quite a long time now, sometimes it takes a little bit of time for people to get into that rhythm and that understanding and that comfortability maybe even to be able to do that. Well, with knowing yourself as a character, uh, you need to have strong motivations and they have to drive the character. And that is kind of the foundation. I mean, a lot of aspects, of course, make up the character, everything from their background to their alignment. But then you have to know 
what else is driving everyone else at the party? And you're like, okay, well, what about I've heard about this? And then you can help them play into some of their character goals. So you're not hogging that all to yourself. Like, this is about my character goals. I will kill the Duke. Okay, that's fantastic. <laughs> no, you won't this session. He's very far away. It's not happening. Tony, we saw this in, in Storm King very early on, that many of the characters latched on very quickly to the idea of Roderick being uh, sickly. And God knows what was happening to him in Maybe the beginning. Maybe it was the but IV they realized, walked around with. Yeah, they realized there was something happening as I, he coughed blood into his handkerchief and such, very Doc Holliday style. Um but they they latched onto that and then began to bring that back in. Oh well, we need to do this for for Roderick because they realized that yeah. you know he was a part of the party, important part. So you know, and it was exactly that. It was people being invested in others' goals as well. Another thing that I think is really important to to being a really successful player is attitude. You know, it's one thing to be invested. It's another thing to kind of handle the ups and downs of the game in a way that doesn't ruin the game for anybody. So this is actually point four, Tony, and the six habits of highly successful players. The fourth habit was handled defeat gracefully. Mm. And that's really important because from the DM point of view, you, the DM doesn't just want to keep rolling out easy monsters, rolling out obvious situations. The DM wants to create some tension. We have another article Tony wrote. Tony's done a lot of writing on the site, so you're going to find a lot of Tony. <laughs> so I don't know why you keep asking to write things. You're insane. <laughs> so, I remember that graceful defeat part when I run the Marvel game Friday night. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to bitch like hell about how it's not fair. But then it's sort of technocrat's character. He's like, this is all bullshit. All that magic is bullshit. I trust my blaster. He's kind of like Han Solo meets Tony Stark in that way. I think one of the great examples of this was, uh, Tony, you playing Cassidus in the pile of bugs incident. Yeah, we talked about how you kind of never let me live it down. but It's you, hilarious. It was, it, it, it was actually, that turned into a really fun game that way with all the secrets going on and kind of the way you leaned into it, even when it didn't necessarily work out for the best, you know? If you're going to be a really successful player, you need to understand that you are yes-anding with the DM. And yes-and, you know, we probably should explain that more. The yes-and is an improv uh, technique. So if you take a look at an imp improv class, the whole the core principle of improv is you take whatever the last actor did and you say yes and 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 you expand them. So, you know, that's how improv continues. You know, one actor does their little bit of improv and they pass it to you and you take what they did. You agree with all of it. You accept all of it. And then you build on it rather than saying, oh, no, well, that's not where I wanted this to go. So that attitude is really important at the role playing table, too, because your DM and all your fellow players are all, to some extent, ad-libbing what they're doing. And you really do need to be supportive of that, both from your other players and from the DM. And what can happen is if a player, one, doesn't support that, obviously, or two, if they get really down when something didn't go their way, it can ruin the yes-and aspect. And now everyone starts getting self-conscious of what they're doing and really worrying about, okay, well, how is everyone going to react to this? And that takes the freshness out of all the improv aspect mm. of things. Also, it's just, it's not necessarily supportive, right? You have to support each other, including the DM. So, you know, bringing that attitude to the table of not just I'm here for my character to be super awesome, but I am here to have a good time playing with these friends and, come, and kind of coming up with cool stuff we're going to do in making that happen in the game and seeing how it plays out and seeing how it's unexpected is all really important to being a good player too. Well said. I would say this goes back some to things I say a lot, which is hard for, for some groups as I, I see some people's posts and, and comments on things, <laughs> but trust your DM. 
You know, mm-hmm. a lot of it yeah. comes down to that. The idea that, you know, there's there's all the memes and the jokes about it, and we all laugh because it's funny, you know, this this very adversarial DM thing. But in the end, I mean, I know the three of us, that's not, nowhere close to where we want to be. We want to be part of the fund and help to be a main impetus of the fund uh, and then give it off to other people to play with kind of thing. So, you know, hopefully you have that kind of relationship and that kind of game group. So if you do trust your DM, let them help your that fully formed character, help them to bring them along and bring you home to get you to where that, that character completion kind of was. Trust that they're listening to where you see the character going, but they're, you know, they're also seeing where the story is going and how do those things intertwine, you know? Even sometimes uh, in a completely fantastical way that could have never happened, like with Hawk in the Amber Temple. Why? I don't know. I think you went Hollywood. I, uh, it's uh, Hollywood Hulk. It happened. People are saying, people are saying well, there's well, a lot of feathered boas. What, what's there to talk about other than the fact that, you know, uh, we, we went from being this group of heroes and my character turned into Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Now you're now you're Malfoy Sr. Thorne. And uh, I am not Malfoy Sr. I haven't taken I'm any deal yet. And, I am not uh, going to agree that this party ever started out as a group of heroes. Okay? I'm going to say that. That's how People that aren't going to just murder people in the street, but they're kind of, you know, they're in the gray areas of life, you know? I don't know. I feel like, I mean, yeah, Hawk was definitely a hero. Hawk came in, at least playing He was a real American. What are you talking about? He was was a real Barovian hero. The real Barovian, yeah. Yeah. I mean, And and, and the Paladin was a hero. But outside of that, you know, gray areas. I mean, 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 don't get me wrong. Phineas is like a Victorian villain. Basically, he's like patterned on that kind of like trickster kind of ruin things from the inside kind of uh, like Ryan Philippe and Cruel Intentions, Dangerous Liaisons, which Cruel Intentions is a remake of Dangerous Liaisons. You know, it is that kind of character that Phineas was playing, but he still has a little bit of a heart of gold. He he doesn't like, you know, he saved the children. They saved the children. That has to be worth something. You guys are absolutely generally the heroes of Barovia currently. But my point with this group specifically is that (laughs) uh, everyone, ever, all the players in the Strahd campaign have generally from, from what I've been able to read, trusted me enough to tell the story that we're telling to take in the feedback, but then also give the room for the story and the characters to breathe because you never know what might happen, just like in life, right? Like, it's not all planned out, but you guys have, uh, I, like I said, from what I've seen, have approached it in very much the way of, okay, let's see where this goes, you know? Yeah. All right, Phineas is case, he's like, he just jumped right in, like, ooh, let's make a deal. Let's see, who can offer me this? Because I have a lot of ideas. No, I mean, just... Through the whole through the whole of the campaign, you know, with everything that has occurred and all that, uh, you know, because I've had ideas for where stories could go. And I generally felt like as the DM, I have the freedom to do that because my players are not constantly pissing and moaning about what they don't have or how this was or how that was. They were just trying to engage with the story as it happens. You know, that's exactly going to, into my next point. One of the things I appreciate about the Woodstock Wanderers 
is that there's players at that table who have, don't get your head get too big, McGee, but there's players there that have differing opinions very strongly. You know, like one player is is a victim of Inathakwa or Ganathakwa or whichever Aqua this is. Ganathakwa. Yeah. It, it, it's a, it's a simple multisyllabic three-tongued noun. I don't understand how you can't say it. Rolls right off the Doesn't <laughs> it? Yeah. And her, her entire backstory is based on the murder of her family. And then you've, from this creature, and then you've got somebody else in the party who's getting this creature's fa- fa- face tattooed on her. Uh, she's wearing a face tattoo like Mike Tyson. And I'm like, you're wearing his merchandise. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what I appreciate about that is that I've been in campaigns where seriously, they people would have gotten really aggravated. And I know the all the Grodnar DMs would come in there and be like, I have control of this and I wouldn't have allowed this. And yeah, the only yeah. time you think that, you know, if you think you have total control of your players and get to decide what you do and don't allow, you are playing on easy mode. You have an easy group. Congratulations. That is not a challenging group. Sorry, no, seriously, then, yeah, be very grateful for that. Then, yes. seriously, I'm jealous. In, in all seriousness, that could have really turned the room. And I've been in situations where that would have really broken the, the party up. Believe me. Mm. I mean, we talk, like you see all these memes. Grandfather's dying and he's like, grandson. Don't put on my gravestone my name. Put on what matters. And it says, I finished one D&D campaign. Sorry to finish. <laughs> but there's truth to that because I got to tell you, I've had plenty of games take a shit around level eight. Why? All of a sudden, these players get into it over something like, oh, my backstory. And I don't, and I can't deal with what we're doing here. And next thing you know, like two players are pissed off and one player is like, what the hell? And it, it's just a mess. So I really appreciate that there's different opinions, but they're still working together. That and, you know, like when Dave's situation, like there's some things, bad things happen to some players in your game. You know what? It didn't turn to an all about me situation. You know what, guys? First of all, you're touching p- evil possessed pillars <laughs> in this satanic. You wish it was satanic. It's worse than satanic it's, temple. It's and, cabin in the woods, and you're all in the basement just picking up artifacts and re- <laughs> looking at the Hellraiser block. You know? right. you're, play- you're playing with the cube, and crazy bad shit's happening. And nobody had that moment where they pitched a fit over that. And as a DM, you know what? I've done something bad to you. It's part of the story. There are benefits. It wasn't just the shit end of the stick entirely. And you've rolled with it. And that's what great players do. And that's been every session is what is my main point is that no matter what was occurring, everyone was uh, was doing what I was saying. They were realizing there were other people at the table. They all had fully formed characters with enough room to breathe. And they were trusting enough that this is moving somewhere that's going to be enjoyable and feel um, like a co- some level of completion at, by the end of it, you know, yeah. session to session. It was, it's, it's, I felt it that way. And I think we all came into that. I mean, we all knew we were coming into Barovia and we all felt like, I think we all felt like we were coming into Strahd's domain. So, you know, if at some point Strahd had basically, you know, cornered us and turned some of us into vampires, I think we would accept that. You know, I think it's just it's one of the conceits of that campaign. Speak for is yourself. That, well, you know, I mean, guys, we well, can't tell you something, brother. I'm gonna suck the I mean, blood right out of you. I mean, we kind of been asking for it. I mean, what are you gonna do? We have, and I mean, and that's the flip side of that is you've let us fuck with Strahd. 
I mean, we've done several things where you could have definitely argued that Strahd should have come and destroyed this party levels ago, and now he might not be able to, you know, which I right, think is right, very right. interesting. I don't think Strahd wants to see us in the dark alley at this point at level 10. Still plenty of tricks up the old sleeve. Yeah, but he want, but, but I think he wants to see us in Castle Ravenslaw. I don't think he wants to run into us randomly on the map anymore. Uh, <laughs> randomly yeah. flying around on his nightmare. Yeah, no. We're, we're, we're going to see Strahd start traveling around with some bodyguards now. I never, you're not going to see Strahd alone so often, no, I don't think. Just, as Chris said, every night he just gets a, a massive dinner prepared and... It goes yeah. cold none every night. It just starts again. None of us took him up on his dinner. And the time. candles go low. We are so we are so <laughs> such a rude party. What's actually kind of fun about that is we're first of all we're playing in Ravenloft, which a lot of players, as I mentioned myself included, have a vast deal of knowledge about. And something a good player should do is not meta game. I could have yep. came into this game and be like, blah, blah, blah. Where's the amulet of the raven? Where's the symbol of the raven kind? Where's that at? Blah, you know, and you'd be like, Tony, shut the hell up, dude. Hawk <laughs> is an idiot and he doesn't know anything about this. It's not about wrestling. It's not about furs. It's not about, you know, hats with horns on them. He doesn't know anything about this. And that you have to do that because there has to be a suspension of disbelief. There has to be the vibe in the room to make it more fun. Like you don't need to necessarily like hang cobwebs in the room that you're playing, but yeah, there has to be that degree of believability, even in an unbelievable situation. Like we're well, in a setting with vampires. Do not put it past me that we will probably for the dinner with Strahd will undoubtedly be live gaming possible again. So don't be surprised when you come over and the living room is decked out like Halloween. <laughs> how many sessions would we have to? How many sessions would we have to roll this for that to be on Halloween? Oh, that. Well, I mean, it's not that many. You guys have, I mean, you you have things that you're still, you, who the hell knows what you guys are going to do? I mean, you know. We'll so. be the Amber Temple for three more games. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, with the way we're moving through the at Amber Temple, rate, yeah. it might take a little while. But uh, who, knows? who knows? I mean, because you could literally at this point start, I mean, I think it's like what? Like we're, we're five or six months away. Like you could figure. You, go. you know what I'll do? Here's what I would promise. Because we'll probably be done the campaign before Halloween. You think so? I don't see why not. Yes. You think we'll be done? I mean, it's only going to be about uh, six sessions. Done strong. Not necessarily where these characters go. But okay. what I will say is if we do, then we will run a specifically Ravenloft Halloween game here in costume, full on. <laughs> like, because I, I just got Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. Oh, yeah. Pull something out of there, and we will do a one-shot Halloween adventure. Fully Very special yeah. Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll even fun. film it. Maybe I have we'll bad news film. for you. We're not leaving Ravenloft. My character's now going to become the Dark Lord of Wrestling. <laughs> this is it. This is his new home now. It's just, no, now we just have a lot of redemption arcs. That's when the story really gets going, man. Come on. This is where Cap dropped the shield after he fought Iron Man. Come on. I don't recall what made Hogan return back to Hollywood Hogan return to classic Hogan, honestly. Uh, I believe ratings. And money, I think. Yeah, I, I don't know. His theme song wasn't They don't usually have like a sudden. Sometimes they do a sudden event, but often it's just he just does a turn. He just unexpectedly yeah. turns, change. It's just a turn in wrestling, you know. All of a sudden, he body slammed this guy. Oh, now I like him again. Heel turn, face turn, heel turn, face turn. It's just but, you get very anyway, good, you know. We're pretty, we're pretty far off here. Though, but <laughs> but yeah, bit. but no meta gaming. 
And Tony, on the other side of that, too, I would I'll just add to it. I knew that you had played through every single edition of Ravenloft, except for the, the newest one in 5e, and that you had read Eisfraud, and like, right, you could probably write your dissertation on Barovia. So with that, I knew that you were going to have certain knowledge. You know, when Arena comes on the screen, you're going to know exactly who it is, why it is. I had no is. idea who that was. No, really? No, <laughs> but with that, I knew that. So I also attempted to add certain things or change some of the things, either either just a name or whatever, so that you could still have some of the the surprise and the oh and the oh that this person was them or this was actually uh, you know this artifact was was different or something, whatever it might be, right? But the the joy of surprise in a game, right? So I've attempted to have some of that. So maybe you don't know exactly what's around every corner. Because, yeah, that's that can get a little tedious. That goes into the investment in the world and the buy-in and all the things we're talking about. You know, that you want to be, that you, you want players who are invested in the world, invested in their characters, who are thinking of in in-world terms. What does mm. this character do in this situation? What could I do? How can I do something interesting? Yeah. And then it's also pulling in the rest of the party. But, you know, you want them to go, you want them to go with it. You want players who are game for the game. And part of that is not constantly metagaming and not constantly going, you know, well, yeah, I know what this thing is because blah, 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 blah. I've seen it before. I've, I've, I've read this module because all of those things break the immersion you're trying to create. They break that feeling. Once again, what they do is they take it away from being a game where we're all role playing and kind of playing with our imagination and problem solving skills and our role playing skills. And they again, turn it back into a basic video game with a guide, right? Mm. I mean, that's what metagame really, that's the problem with metagaming. I mean, some metagaming is fine, but the problem we run into with metagaming is that they turn it into just another, well, that guy's got an armor class of 22, so you're going to need at least a plus six to hit him. You know, it's like that stuff makes it feel more like just your random board game or minis game, whereas D&D at its best, any RPG at its best, is a higher level of thing. It is not about what are the stats and what are the dice rolls and what are the mechanics on your sheet. It's about that, okay, what does your character do and how do you play that character and how do you engage with the world and how do you make plans and move the football forward? That's what makes RPGs better. And that's the problem. Yeah. Too much metagaming undermines that and turns it into just another mechanical game. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. On the sheet, there was something that killed me about second edition. And yes, second edition, it really had, we had some amazing, amazing moments in it. Actually, I had, I had, a, I had good experiences in all the editions except third, which I just dabbled in very briefly but yeah i think any of us dave played some he played some pathfinder which is based on third i miss yeah I miss, pathfinder I was, is like based off three five three point five you know so yeah but my point is that some things that really kind of broke the magic so to speak uh, in staying on the sheet versus office when my fighter would attack three times and do 24 points of damage each hit well <laughs> That just completely explains everything, right? I remember this in a previous article, like, you know, did you did you stab him in the legs three times? Did you stab him in the heart three times? Did you stab him once? He fell on the stairs, you know, the staves and the stairs and one of that thorn module uh, for Call of Cthulhu when the guy landed <laughs> in a pile of broken metal in that one house. I, I can't mean, take credit for that. That is that is the beginner module in the Call of Cthulhu be uh, starter guide. <laughs> terrifying stairs. Oh, my God. The bed not coming out the window, the party practically <laughs> dies on the stairs, and then someone gets stabbed with a magic knife. That's how that starter game goes. <laughs> that was actually a pretty terrifying module, considering how easily you could die. But then, like, you know, if you sell, like, what, 24 damage on all these different hits looks like poorly, then it breaks 
the magic. Like, well, I, you got stabbed through, you were ran through three times. Like, what are you, are you SpongeBob? You need to show <laughs> that, like, you you were able to absorb that damage by taking glancing blows that would have been absolutely lethal to a less trained warrior. Mm-hmm. All right, that's a good point. I would say that kind of uh, dovetails into some of what we were talking about in uh when we were talking about how to dm new players like the best ways the 14 tips we had for dming new players uh, a couple weeks back and it's thorn you brought it up that call of cthulhu specifically calls it out as this but what action oriented uh role player whatever it is but that idea too that's also something i'm looking for from players not just especially experienced players uh with newer players like we were talking about you're not going to get that as much because they don't know the mechanics fully to be able to say, I roll an insight check. But I want to know what is your character doing? And then I'll do my job and I'll adjudicate that and I'll ask you for a role or not and I'll give you information or not, blah, blah, blah. But tell me what you're doing. You either tell me in character or tell me narratively, I don't care. But tell me what you're doing. Tell me that you're swinging your sword, not just I'm going to, I roll an attack. I roll damage, right? (laughs) Tell me what you're doing. Are you picking up the shotgun to shoot the zombie thing, you know? But that act to create that sense of, that's part of that investment too in the role play in that these things are happening in this world. And then we're adjudicating it with dice and whatever else, but these things are happening and we're all imagining this or seeing it play out on the the battle board or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, that action, I, I think it was action oriented. Yeah. Uh, so the way that the call Cthulhu puts it is, you know, you should be describing what you do, not describing the role you make. Yeah. And that's, the, and I think that's, that's part of it. And it's also part of, you know, to get to another point Tony made here in the uh, six habits of highly successful players, it's part of being inspiring, right? It's part of the way your character engages with the world inspires other players to engage with the world in a more organic matter is I think important. Mm. You know, and I think that's kind of part of that, right? It's, it's not just, it's not just that, you know, it's not just that you're, that, that you're invested, but that you are trying to play in a way that gets other people invested and gets other people thinking off their sheets and away from the mechanics and in the imaginative space where the game is really happening. So Tony, when you talk about being inspiring, like what to you is inspiring from a player? Well, kind of uh, first uh, address the point that you made there about, you want to say what you're trying to do. I think just I shoot my gun. I mean, the DM can uh, take that and run with it, and that's great. And you could do that different style if you pick up. But like, if you're giving me some feedback on what you're trying to do, then I could give you. It's easier for me to then take that and pass it and say, now that's your die roll. Let me tell you what happened. Yeah. That that mm. adds yeah. more uh, cred to what you're doing as far as the game goes. But then to kind of lean into the story when appropriate. And not make this at the same time, making it all about them personally. You, sometimes, you know what? Guess what? You're, as Dave said earlier, the wizard probably would know. Let's talk to the wizard. What does the wizard have to say about this? What does she yeah. know about this? Why don't you fill us in and give them a chance to? Because you know what? You're not going to be good at freaking everything. And in one of the articles that I just put out, I talked about uh, Wolverine's a colossal badass, but he gets more shit done when he's working with the X-Men. And there's plenty yeah. of times where he's had his ass handed to him because he's been beaten <laughs> up. He's his own himself. worst enemy. 
He's his own worst <laughs> fucking enemy. Yeah, yeah. Well, that too. Yeah, because he's like, I am so badass. I don't need anybody. And next thing you know, all these ninjas come out and start pounding on him. <laughs> Meanwhile, Magneto shows up, and then he's the most useless X-Man. <laughs> oh, Pete Holmes did a bit of that. It was absolutely Yeah, no, that was hilarious. Yeah. You but that's, one of, that's a good point with the Be Inspiring tone, and that's one of the reasons I think I might, because I, I like playing a lot of the buff classes, things like bards, clerics, things like that. And I, that might be part of it is because it allows a level of interacting with the other players to try to bring them into it or give them something more, buff them up, uh, you know, help them out, you know, assist in a way. And I kind of put that into that that idea of that be inspiring, you know? Yeah. And so, also encourage everyone else to, to contribute. I wanted to turn this around for a second. We keep talking talk about what we want our players to do. But we're all also players. So yeah. when you're setting out to, to create a character, to be a player, what are you trying to do as a player in someone else's game? You personally. Well, you have character goals, and I'm trying to fulfill them. Okay. And Where's that come from? A backstory, in-game developments, you know, the, where, again, I, as I've said before, where you have a character in your head and when that reaches to the paper and then enters your game, there's a lot of things happen in that journey. <laughs> you know, that character, I'm like, this guy is going to be so badass. And he's now this kind of slapstick kind of tongue in cheek character who's not taking himself so seriously. And then that works. Like if I tried to play a serious car- barbarian based on Hulk Hogan, that would absolutely not work. <laughs> be like you you've got to be kidding me. Like that's no, I I still feel like you could do it. Like but you'd have to so you'd have to be so invested in making sure that you were playing it straight. <laughs> like that would be a. Feat I don't know. The Hulk Hogan doesn't play it straight though. He's a campy character to begin with. You know. He does not. But he didn't. No, go back to those original ones in the 80s. He was absolutely taking himself completely seriously. He played it straight the whole time. That but, was the beauty of it. But just because it was he only didn't later how campy he, he was didn't make him any less campy. No, he was campy to us, but he never played it that way. He played he, it straight, you know? He did, but also there was a... Because that was the vibe. Yeah. But... You know, like if you look at yeah. those, those earlier, like earlier, earlier in his career when you know he's having those Mean Gene interviews and stuff like that. Like you know, he was super over the top, but he was really into it too. So he's kind of selling it. And he did. You know, Hogan's actually an interesting character because he's literally a dude who came in with no wrestling experience, no athletic experience beyond bodybuilding. And they had literally found him lifting weights on Venice Beach. And they noticed, dude, is like 6'8", six, 6'10", six, and ripped. And a wrestling promoter came over and said, I don't care what you know how to do. I want you in my wrestling show. I, I'm getting way off topic. I watched his interview uh, as I was character yeah. prepping for Dave's uh, game. <laughs> and, Pay attention. Uh, Here we go. Highly successful player moment. I'm watching Hulk Hogan interviews to prep for my character in Dave's game. Do not miss that. That is essential. I, I'm right there with you, Tone. <laughs> so he actually got into circuit wrestling and he was that's he was not that successful in the States. So he ended up in Japan of all places. Mm. And he kind of hung out in the places where the really top level Japanese wrestlers were. And we are so off topic. That's I fine. That's, that's fine. This is all character development. It's character building. Character so building. he ended up accepting a challenge from like the premier Japanese wrestler who destroyed him and broke his leg. In a, in, a, in a friendly, air quotes, wrestling match. And Terry, Hulk Hogan, who wasn't even, I think, Hulk Hogan at the time, recovered, rehab, and came right back. 
And then this guy, who I, I shouldn't remember his name, but I do not have this premier Japanese wrestler, he was like the number one guy, yeah. took him under his wing at that point and said, you know what? You're all right. And that's where his career turned. Then he came back into America. Uh, he met up with, like, I want to say the Honky Tonk Man. And, like, they were, and, like, the Macho Man. And, like, they all worked in territories. And then his career just took off. And he was still super young even then. Comparatively yeah. speaking, that's funny. That sounds like it's the a version very from, interesting life. Very interesting. That, yeah, that sounds like the version from his book because I've heard WWF wrestlers <laughs> who wrestle with him say, "Look, the dude was terrible. Like the reason his signature move was a leg drop is he couldn't do anything else. He couldn't do the high level choreography, so he just had to pose and sing and do leg drops." He actually really regrets his leg dropping, his finishing move because he's like, "My God, after drooling." 36,000 leg drops. I should have picked a sleeper move or something like that because my back is killing me. Oh. He's, he's looking at like the Boston Crab like that. I should have done the Boston Crab. That's so easy. So somewhere in there, I got lost about character development. and that No, was... actually, you, you made a really good point, though. And, it's, and, and I'm going to complete the circle here because you guys both, you did that research to play Hulk Morgan, who is the, our version of Hulk Hogan. Dave did that research into Vincent Price and the fall of the House of Usher. Absolutely. Uh, and built and wrote that backstory and pulled it yeah. in and pulled in a poem to build his character uh, to, to, to build uh, Roderick. And, you know, you guys might not know this, but actually for Zhang, I literally started reading the Book of Five Rings for Zhang. There you oh, go. that's neat. And there I have already, re I have before Gosh. read Sun Tzu. And when it came to the point where I decided to go battle master instead of, instead of samurai, I was literally looking at the philosophies from these two books of like, okay, so what would he do? And I was like reading about like, and I, you know, reading about Musashi and, you know, I knew, I know about Sun Tzu from other things I know. And yeah. that, you know, I guess all three of us, when we're building a character, if we're into it, do a little bit of research to make it, to, to get into it a little more, to understand what this character is going to do. I think that's probably an unsung aspect of of being a highly successful player. Yeah, I do think. I think you have gained with you guys. You're you're both great players to have at the table. I hope I'm the same. That aspect though, where it's it's not that you're doing it because it's work. It's that you're so into this character that you're going to go figure out. Okay, so what would he do? What would a samurai do in this situation? How do they think about things? And you bring that to your character. And of course, if you're talking a fantasy character, you can do the same thing in other ways. You can study whatever dwarven culture you think he's going to be based on. If you're, you can look at Drizzt and decide if that's how you want your drought, that, if that's how your drow's yeah. culture worked. But you can, you, if you're doing those kinds of things, just to kind of get a feel for what would this character do off of the sheet and in my head, that's probably a really good sign that you're playing that character pretty well. Like, like that, those little things totally come out in the game. Well, yeah, you need to have a you need to have a full concept of something, even if it's like like Tony's doing, where it's it's kind of tongue in cheek and stuff, but still a cool concept. It's actually the most it's the least conceptual one that I think you you said you've done to him with Hawk Morgan in that um, you had a very loose like it wasn't a massive backstory. It was very loose. You had the the general he's kind of like Hulk Hogan idea. And you just kind of tried to play it right through that lens without a massive backstory. Well, let's be honest. That's an extraordinarily developed character that once okay. you have the inspiration for that, I could have ran with it. Uh, yeah. I, it, yeah. it was pretty easy. He started running himself. Like, you know, what's what's Hawk Morgan going to do uh, yeah. in this situation? He's going to be brave. He's going to be over the top. He's going to defeat this guy in the most showman type way. You know, he's going to gorilla press him and drop him on the freaking uh, the table and then leg drop him in front of everybody. Um, because go. that's just how he rolls. Uh, my character in the Marvel game had a 
pretty developed backstory, honestly, that was just coming out. But on the flip side of this, guys, yeah. I had one character. I had a, I said this before. I had a Cavalier. I spent like weeks developing his backstory. He died in the second game. And he, game. <laughs> he died, died. It was like, That's oh, the, yeah. I'm for the revivify. No, it's time for the shuffle. That's like, no, he's, he's literally a skeleton working in the bad guy's armies now. You're not getting him back. The DM yeah. has taken him. But you know, that's that comes to another aspect of being a good player, though, is that, you know, you come in. And Dave, you mentioned this in the beginning. Yeah. At least I believe, I'm pretty sure it was Dave who mentioned this, but you'd said that come in with an idea for a character, but it isn't quite fully formed. It's still like cookie dough because yeah. you want that character to continue to develop through the game. So you want to come in with a strong character and a strong idea of what is this per this person and what drives them and how do they make decisions when, when think when actual, you know, life and death are on the line, like what drives them? How do they decide what they're going to do? How do they react to things? You want to know that much. But at the same time, you want the character to develop through the course of the game. And you want you want the character to respond to what the DM is going to throw at you in flexible ways. And you want to embrace what the DM does, which may also change the character. So it is that, you know, you want to come in with a cool backstory and a cool character that you are ready to let go of if he dies. Yeah, or you are ready to yeah. totally change if story elements change what he is. You know, that's the tricky thing. You got to be able to you got to want to do both. and You got to be excited to go get that next character. I will add too. I, uh, I I think it's important. Uh, one of the things that I think of, and I I've joked about this before. It's not really a joke, but like the minute we start talking about any kind of new game or new campaign, even if we're half joking, I'm like, oh yeah, I don't know if I'll have time. And then about 30 seconds later, 14 ideas of characters are already swirling, and I'm like, oh well, who would I want to like? Do I want to? I could play that. That'd be kind of a cool angle, right? So one of the things with that, too, um, a perfect example being Roderick in Storm Kings. We knew we were playing Storm King's Thunder, okay? So I took an idea of a character, and I worked it into why would I be wanting to play this character in this world, in this adventure, right? If you're in uh, Barovia, you know, you might not want to be playing the, uh, I don't know, whatever, Whatever, you know, certain classes might not work quite as well, let's say, right? But you have an idea, and I like to try to help uh, bring that in. Uh, like Wood, with Woodstock, it wasn't as much about the world because we didn't know anything about that. But I knew the party I was going to be with. So was, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go cleric because I would like to be able to assist and help and make sure people aren't just completely dying. And then I work this character concept in to enhance not just my own backstory and stuff, but also the game and the overall campaign, you know, to help it move along, you know, like with Roderick being able to speak giant. <laughs> in, in the uh, last Marvel game that uh, Chris ran, I was a little backstory to that. My uh, character in the Marvel game is uh, his superhero. Uh, he, some people believed he was a mutant. He had this whole story where uh, he had his powers were accidentally given to him. It was none of that. And I was on a ride. Uh, they were accidentally given by, uh, I think, radioactive energy drinks, I'm going to guess. No, no. I think that was yeah, the, the that's what we all thought. The yeah. tornado got it from drinking just too many energy drinks in the right combination, and boom, he received powers. Um, and I was on a ride that white lie. As long as I could, I made a very careful point not to lie to my party. If they asked any questions, I would just have some guiding things in certain ways. Like 
Dave's character is like, so why are we going to New York? What do you know about these guys? And I'm like, well, I've never met these guys. Truth. I absolutely had not. Um, but I really had planned. I had talked to the GM and I'm like, I or the judge in this case, I'm going to ride this story for I planned on literally for like six more months. Like I was not going to reveal that. And then it came out like, no, that's not his backstory is not that at all. <laughs> no, and I leaned into it. It's massive. <laughs> it's massive. A massive backstory. Yeah. No, I'm. He's yeah. a demigod. <laughs> Break out your Rick Riordan. Sorry. I mean, I didn't lie. I am 16. I mean, that's the truth. <laughs> Uh, is, is he actually the lightning thief? Is that is that actually what his backstory is? Or is he Jackson? <laughs> no, he's uh, not not at all. Actually, he's not. Uh, he, he's a former bad guy. Um, ooh, but, ooh. Okay. Yes, he was. Well, I mean, if from the story, he was a titan who was tossed in the underworld, and he was there for thousands of years, and eventually. Uh, he got parole, so to speak, and he was reborn, but was on the DL. Uh, his mother kind of lobbied Hades to let him out. He was reincarnated the only way he could leave the underworld into a new body and started his new life over. Oh, man. Uh, first, so he has Titan powers. That's my story. It, Very it, it, on the DL, though. Technocrat is, is, is quite annoyed by this because Technocrat thought he was the only other basic, you know, technological, <laughs> non-bullshit character My on character the ship. Is, is really, and then it turns out he is full bullshit, yeah. and it's just all bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. He, he, he's very unhappy. He's disappointed, of anything too, that for is the record. Because <laughs> he really fouls your character's opinion. But uh, I, I, I leaned into that. I, like, I did not, uh, like, I could be like, oh, man, you, you ruined it. And, you know, that would have, I think that would have squashed no, the vibe. I will say, I think that ran for the perfect amount of time. I think I had just enough time for us to be kind of caught up with it, to notice you drank the energy drinks, and to start forgetting about it. So I think it was the perfect time for the reveal, personally. That, that or I would have gotten, like, type 2 diabetes. I mean, really, uh, <laughs> drinking these things constantly. All that caffeine. He, he, I mean, it would have started reversing, right? You drink that much caffeine, and it starts making you tired instead of picking you up. At least that's what coffee does. Uh, yeah, yeah so, no, that would have been a hard one. So, so Dave, what do you do when you're playing a character? What do you try to do with your characters you're playing, not when you're DMing? Well, like I was saying, as I was kind of responding, because I, I feel like Tony and I might kind of go through some of the same the same process in a way, is that we get, a, yeah, we, we get a general idea. I know I do. I usually have an idea that might be based off some other character that I always liked or or something. So I have a general archetype. And then I start to think about, okay, how do I, what, what is this person's real thing? Like what's their race and what's their class? And then that's going to start to kind of uh, bring it in and focus it a little more. And then I think about what is the campaign that I'm going to be playing in or the game I'm going to be playing? Cause that's going to change very much what I'm going to do. You know, like Roderick very specifically had specific things about giant kin in his backstory that he was searching out because I would this sickly half elf man from a dying nobility go and seek out giants. Why, why would he ever leave his mansion? He wouldn't. Right. <laughs> so I specifically put that in there, you know, like I said, with beam, I specifically put in that, you know, I, my whole point was in essence to be an assistant, you know, to, to help the party. So I kept my backstory open to that point where, that was my whole purpose. That was the purpose that my God had put me on. But yeah, I'll go through a lot of different things with that. I'll even, like you said, I will 
reread The Fall of the House of Usher. I will watch some Vincent Price. I was trying to get even, because you guys know I try to do uh, some voice. I was even trying to get some of his modes of speech, and I, ju I just can't. That, like, um, <laughs> I forget what they call it. It's a very specific dialect that a lot of actors had back then. Why don't they call it something? Middle American or something. You don't mean the Mid-Atlantic accent, do you? Mid-Atlantic. That's it. it. Yeah. I don't think of him yeah. as Mid-Atlantic. Mid-Atlantic is usually that, um, like that radio announcer. Yeah, thing. see? And that's, I think yeah. it's a it's a version of that. And it's a okay. way in which to have a, uh, I guess, a, a basic kind of, you know, nothing too regional voice. Regardless, I couldn't really capture his uh, his voice unless I was just reading Thriller. Outside of that, I wouldn't. Yeah, see, have that's it. when I think. But yeah, Price, I think of like that really heavily inflected gothic kind of. Exactly, exactly, right, and the laugh. That'd um, be hard to run for an hour. So I didn't go with that at all, but you know, the overall backstory was there, and then that was cool because I was able to to play off with Bond too, and then we we did the whole twins thing. But yeah, I'll do some research about like what is this kind of character? My my knight, my paladin that I was in the in the modern day mm. kind of post-apocalyptic dying earth thing. I took a character from the Dresden novels, Michael Carpenter, uh, one of the Knights of the Cross. I, I love that character. And I was like, that would be kind of cool. And that makes sense for a paladin in a modern day. Why would there be a paladin? And then I kind of came out with this whole idea of this uh, this Pendragon lineage and stuff. But yeah, that's generally what I'm what I'm doing. I'm getting a level of a backstory together that is giving me a fully formed character, but is also opening the door to why am I here and why am I going to start adventuring with this party or this adventure or this campaign or whatever it might be. So I think for me, um, you know, I usually start with a mechanical base, I usually kind of flip through and I start with, okay, what kind of, what kind of class do you want to play? What kind of, cause that lets me know what kind of toys I want to play with. Now I've said before, and you know, we, we've talked about it. D and D specifically fourth edition or fifth edition D and D is very much a toy chest style game. You know, the fun thing for the players is playing with the different powers and abilities they get in addition to the role play, which you can do in any RPG, almost any RPG. So, you know, it's really, I kind of come up with that mechanical toy chest I want to play with. And then I work from there. I'll figure out the class. I'll figure out kind of which way I'm going with it, the race, what I'm playing with kind of mechanically. And then from there, I wind up build, building a character concept that gets more interesting. So like for Zhang, I... I wanted to, I wanted to do a, uh, well, first I wanted to do a monk and then I wound up doing a samurai and then I picked the bugbear for the reach. And then I started playing around polearm. Okay. Bugbear with polearm does some cool things. All right. Now I'm a bugbear polearm samurai. Why the hell is my bugbear a samurai? And from there, <laughs> like from that, usually from that, You're like, back into of, why is this, why is this person from this culture doing this thing with its life? From there, I can I start building a backstory. I mean, it's not usually a really deep backstory. You've, you guys have both seen my stuff tends to be like a page, you know, I just or a couple paragraphs. I rip off kind of what did he do, what did he, and what was important, and what does he want to do. But that yeah. gives me the background I need to feed forward to okay, how does this person see the world? What is their alignment? Which I do take fairly seriously because I think strongly about I think a lot about okay, how do they see law and chaos, and how do they see good and evil, and how do they see you know their self, you know, kind of. Do they look out for number one? Do they look out for, for other people? And what are their main motivators? What, what do they want? Like Tony was saying, you come up with their character goals. And then through the rest of the game, you basically play through them trying to achieve those character goals. And those aren't necessarily long distance goals. Like they're not necessarily, hey, I want to go become famous. They are also, how do I want to live my life? 
So like, I'll know how that character, what that character considers to be a well-spent life and what that character considers to be the right set of decisions to make in different situations. And from there, I play the rest of it out. So it starts with the mechanics. The mechanics are the feature of what you're doing in combat. They're the fun stuff and how you can mechanically interact with the world. But then I go from the mechanics to building the character that would have that set of things in making that interesting and leaning into that. So it, it starts from like a very mechanical point of view to a character that is very... Mm internally driven and i can i can make decisions and speak as this character maybe not in voice but in in concept like i understand yeah. how this character is going to respond to these things and from there i'm able to play it out and that's really kind of how i how i build a character and what i want to do and then what i want to do in the end is have them become the god or king or lord of whatever they do <laughs> you know <laughs> that tends to be my my end game you know and you then know, my, go to the top yeah, Nor the the wild mage. He be he he basically became a god of magic. Jang basically you know basically became the uh, a king in the world and with an expanding kingdom, you know. And these are the things I think these characters did because that's the kind of thing they would have wanted to do based on where they were. Yeah. There's a certain kind of ambition I tend to build in. So yeah. that's what I'm doing when I try to play play a character. Now, um, you know, we've been going on for a little while. I think it's time for some final thoughts. So guys giving advice to players, uh, you know, based on, you know, when you think about what are the habits of highly successful players, what are your final thoughts for this episode? Uh, certainly uh, have your moments, deliver your lines, and then move on. Your key moments, your key lines have to be important, but give your other players at the table an opportunity to have theirs and, you know, be supportive of those moments as well. Yeah. Uh, assist with those when you can. And um, that's hard. That's oftentimes a lot of your best, a lot of the players who seem the best, that's where they fall down and they hog the spotlight. They, they, it, they take too mm. much of the scene, too much of the time. Yeah. And yeah. honestly, that's a tricky balance. Yeah. In, in all fairness. But uh, I feel like you should be able to like, if you want to want to go off on a rant and I'm going to do some crazy improv for like, you know, four minutes. Well, it, if it's really good, then great. Rock it out then that's a cool character moment. It's a cool party moment. But if not, let it go. It's just time to to, uh, to pass the basketball and let somebody else take a shot on that. So I'm not. I'm going to end with three actual things instead of the investment, and, and which was just one word. So I totally screwed <laughs> that up. Uh, you know, but no, investment three is three different important. words but, if you want them to be. They just don't mean the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Best and uh, a mint. piece of clothing and 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 a mint. Because yeah, and um, so fully formed character have have the fully formed character. We just we just talked about how we each come about it with Thorn going the complete opposite way and still coming to the same thing, right? So we have a, this character that then breathes. Uh, a great example was my Marvel character, the Void, who I looked at as this this kind of dark dimension, Doctor Strange, mysterious, and and and, and you know gravitas and he's literally being played like a grown child you know and yeah. i'm like oh that's where the character really <laughs> is and it makes sense for his background but, but it works. i didn't even see that yeah i didn't even see that when i was building him i built him much more as you know the void and mysterious and all of this kind of stuff totally doesn't play that way but i found the rhythm that works that still is a fully formed character so with enough room to, to, to breathe, like we talked about, to complete that thing. Uh, realize that there's other people at the table. That's why we're playing a game. 
Because if not, then we're reading a novel or watching a, a show. And those are fun too, but this is a game with other people. So realize they're there. And the more they're involved, the more fun you'll have. And my last point, I say a lot of times, trust your DM. Trust yeah. that, you know, that they have your best intentions at heart. Trust, like Mike Shea says, that they're your number one fan. And they want to see an awesome completion. So they'll they'll bring you home if you trust them. So. All right. Good points. Good points all around. Uh, I'm going to say for me, you know, it really kind of comes down to it's you know, being invested in the game. It's, you know, thinking off of your sheet. So you make an interesting character on your sheet and, you know, you go from what's on your sheet to kind of what is the character's motivation and, and who do you think the character is. But then taking your how you play the character off of the sheet. So you, you don't want to be just playing your character by looking at your sheet and deciding what power or ability you want to use next. You want to think about it from the point of view of how does this character respond? What does this character want to do in this situation? And if that has to do with what's in your sheet, great. If it doesn't, you know, oftentimes your best solution is to do something that has nothing to do with anything written on your character sheet. You know, it's, it's some totally other plan that you won't see if you're just looking at your sheet. So I think it's really important to basically you start with your sheet, but understand that the game is really played off of your sheet. The sheet it's really just a matter of how do I adjudicate things and what are some certain special, how do I reflect the special abilities of this character? The sheet isn't like your A and B button on your, on your video game controller. That's not how, that's not, that's not how you're going to get the most out of playing a role-playing game. You, you can play it however you want. And I have no problem if you do play it that way, but where role-playing games excel, like where there's that opportunity to go beyond other games, it's when you get off of your sheet and start playing really with your, 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 your head, your imagination, your role-playing ability, your problem-solving abilities so the best players are the players who lean into that and are able to do that well. I'd also say, you know, we didn't really get too deep into this, but as far as what makes a great character, you know, we've kind of tiptoed around this, but what it comes down to, I think, is it should be a character. Like, you know, it, it should be someone who people remember. You know, we remember Roderick for the things he did. We remember Hawk Hogan, you know, Hawk Morgan for the things he does. <laughs> we remember Zhang in Nort Spellslinger for the things, for for those kind of characteristic kind of things they do where they are a bit over the top and they do do some things that people remember because we all want to be playing with characters we remember and we want to remember what our party members characters do too like we it's not just that you should know what everyone else does it's also that we should be doing things that make the game memorable for each other and that really is one of the things that makes i think a great player that you're able to Make your character, it's like the old USA slogan when they had Monk and they had all these good character driven kind of like little light dramas and in comedies, you know, characters welcome is what the USA Network used to be, we used to say was their slogan. That's D&D, characters welcome. And it's not just character on paper, it's the character that you have an interesting character people want to see. Very Mark. We're um, still in there, I do. Well we're just going to keep turning phrases. I think we're turning phrases is about one every three episodes so far. we got to pump those numbers up. They're rookie numbers. <laughs> They're rookie numbers. Yeah. And that's it. You know, I think that's uh, that's probably enough ground to cover for this episode. We could certainly go on for days and nights about what makes a great character because I know we're all itching to both run and to both run games with cool ones and to build more cool ones ourselves. But I think that's uh, where we can cut it for tonight. Guys, thanks a lot. I had a great time talking about this. Absolutely. Awesome. And thank you all for listening to us. I have to thank two of our listeners. They did not get name dropped earlier in the episode, but we have Jeremy who wrote us and asked us to 
basically he asked us where the podcast was based on that, that 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 article was based on and we didn't have one yet so jeremy this is your podcast i hope you enjoyed it and we also want to thank scott who commented on the article mentioning you know talk about the five characteristics of a good gaming group we haven't gotten to that yet but it could be something we do in the future and if you want to know what those suggestions are you can go to this article the six habits of highly successful rpg players we're going to link it in this in the description of this podcast and you can also find it on the website on page two at this point because man we're just cranking out the content all the good uh-huh. it's been a, it's been one hell of a year if you're listening to this podcast on a podcast platform please give hit that five star rating button give us a good review if you if you like it if you want to tell your friends all that stuff helps this podcast grow and helps us get in front of new listeners which we really appreciate if you want to get more content go to threewisedms.com you can also follow us on facebook twitter and instagram we're very active in all those places and we would love to see you there and if you have something you'd like to hear us cover on the show please send us an email at threewisedms at gmail.com talk to us about it on uh, one of those social platforms, or you can go to our website, threewisedms.com, and enter in the What's Your Problem field. Many of our episodes come from what other DMs told us was their problem, and we try to talk about those as often as we can. We'll see you next week on Three Wise DMs.